At this time, our three through eight-year-olds are dismissed to Children's Church, and you are dismissed to go downstairs for your worship time. The rest of us, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to be studying the life of, we're going to be studying a portion of a lady's life who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a very appropriate song that the young ladies were singing. Well, actually, Amy was singing it too. So all the ladies, the young ladies, right? The young ladies were uh, were, uh, singing. (laughs) Open mouth, insert foot. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, I do that at church too. Uh, Well, I really appreciate all of you uh, who came last week, and I appreciate Brother Barnes filling in for me. Uh, I had a good time with my family. It was a, a good special service for my grandmother Acker, and we had a I had a good time with family. And my dad ended up retiring last Friday, so his retirement party, and just coincidentally, was on Sunday of last week. So I was able to be there, and I shared on Wednesday night. It's the weirdest retirement party I've been to. Uh, my dad's a postmaster for the United States Post Office, and He's a believer and had a testimony of being a Christian, of being a Christian but he had his, one of his former pastors MC the program for his retirement party. And so he just, borderline was preaching the gospel during his retirement party, and then his, he kind of guess set the tone, and then I'm the son that's the preacher, and I got up and was just sharing some thoughts about my dad's testimony, and uh, just his example of a good work ethic, and everything, and then uh, his postmaster who hired him got up there and presented him with a service award and said, now that you're retired, you go and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm like, this is so weird, you know, only in the Bible Belt, I guess, uh, in South Carolina is where I'm from, and it sounded more like a worship service than a retirement party. So anyway, it was a good time to be with family, and I appreciate your prayers for my family. Uh, appreciate your prayers for Brandon White and his family. Uh, his mother passed away at 12:30 on Monday, and I just got in that after uh, that day, and so tried to send it out. I hope everyone got word about that. And I just want to encourage you to pray for Brandon's family, and and also think about how you can be an encouragement to them. They are going on vacation tomorrow uh, to leave town for a couple of weeks, so you may you may want to send a card while they're away, or but don't stop by because they won't be there at the house. But, you know, I want to encourage you to pray for them, send a card or a text message to them, and it would be greatly appreciated. Um, I, well, I was over there visiting with Brandon last night and just talking to him about his mom. And, uh, you know, he asked me about my grandmother and stuff, and he had heard that she passed away. And I was just sharing with him that, um, you know, three weeks ago or so, my parents called me and just kind of, set the tone that my grandmother was going downhill. And I was sharing with Brandon that going back home wasn't, you know, I didn't really grieve as much there as I did here because three weeks before she even passed away, I, I had already grieved. I realized that she was going to be gone and, and I wouldn't see her before she passed away. And doctors already told us that you know she so, sh- showed signs of being close to death and that her body was sh- shutting down and uh, we wouldn't I knew I wouldn't see her again before she left this world and so I mean I remember three weeks ago over at the house when no one was there you know just grieving 
you know, crying and, and just remembering all the good memories of my grandmother. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a, you know, I'm glad I did that because when I was at home, it, it kind of made it a little bit easier, being a part of the service and participating in that. I already had grieved um, myself before I went there. And that's kind of the tone here in Matthew chapter 6 is Jesus has kind of set the tone for what's going to happen. He, he foretold his death. He foretold it many times to his disciples, and, and, and they just would not believe him and take it seriously. In verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 26, Jesus predicted his death, that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he was going to be betrayed, and he would be crucified. The leaders in verses 3 through 5, they plotted his death. And then the verses that we're going to be looking at and studying this morning, verses 6 through 13, there's a woman who prepares for his death. And she comes days before Jesus actually dies, and actually days before he institutes the Lord's table, which I thought that was a coincidence, that this is kind of the setting before he instituted the Lord's Supper. Um, This woman comes and she gives this extravagant gift, and Jesus uses her gift to rebuke his twelve disciples. Let's look at verse 6 where the Scriptures say, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, apparently he was healed, because normally you wouldn't be in the house of a leper if he had leprosy, right? And it says in verse 7, There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head and sat at meat, as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, He said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, in the whole world there shall also this, that this woman, uh, what this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. You know, sometimes we're misunderstood, and this woman was misunderstood. Since Crystal and I have been in ministry in Colorado, you know, we've been really busy, you know, back in Arvada and even here. We, uh, people, family will call, call us, and when they call us, um, usually we're doing something that, is involved with the church. You know, we're planning for a youth activity. We're traveling to visit someone. Um, we are. I'm preparing a new sermon series. Family just tends to call when I'm working. Uh, I'm not sure if they don't think I work or what. But anyway, uh, but they call me when eight to five. They call me between eight and five when my office hours are, and I'm working. I'm studying. I'm preparing. And even at home, sometimes I take some of it there and. And the unfortunate impression that I give to my family, and it's not that they're critical that I'm in ministry, but you know they call so many times, and we're in the middle of doing something. We're about we're about to leave the door and out the door and go to a youth activity to go visit somebody or whatever, and they get this sense that we're workaholics or something, you know. And you know we have office hours. I try to work, you know, forty at least forty hours a week. It's usually more than that, you know, and try to put the time into the ministry here. But they just seem to call at the wrong time. So they get the, the um, impression that we're just always busy. And they're like, don't you think you should slow down a bit? 
You know, you know, you know, you need to take a day off. And I do take a day off. I take Mondays off, and I try to work it out so I can take Saturdays off. But you know, they get that unfortunate impression. We're sometimes misunderstood. And uh, that's exactly what was going on with this woman who shows up at Simon the leper's house. She uh, comes and she, Jesus is the most important person in her life. And it seems like when something is very important in your life, you're really consumed with doing that, right? And putting emphasis on it. And Jesus was very important to this lady. And she comes and she gives this extravagant gift to her, but she's misunderstood and she's actually criticized by people who claim to be followers of Christ. And that's very true today. When you put Jesus first and foremost in your life, some of your biggest critics are going to be Christians. <laughs> because sometimes you're a rebuke to them. And they say to her, to what purpose is this waste? It might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And so Jesus here um, brings the attention. It seems like the focus is, on this woman and how she's criticized for putting Jesus first and foremost in her life. Jesus says to the disciples, why trouble ye this woman? You know, Jesus makes it very clear. He doesn't scold this woman at all. Jesus was very important to her, and Jesus doesn't scold her at all because he agrees that he should be the apple of every eye of a believer. That he should be the apple of our eyes. That he should be the one that we cherish above all else. And we must give our total commitment to Him. This woman was totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to explain how she was, but there's definite evidence in her life that she was committed to Christ. Are you totally committed to Him? If so, there will be evidence. And I want to point out some evidence in this lady's life that really should be a part of your life as well. Verses 6 and 7, and even verse 10 she shows that she gave her very best. Jesus says in verse 10, She hath wrought a good work upon me. This word good means valuable or virtuous. Something that's excellent, not something that's mediocre. This woman gave her very best. And this account takes place not only in Matthew 26, but also in Mark 14. And it gives a little bit more detail there. It says that it might... Um, it's uh, the disciples, is Judas actually here, he criticizes the woman and says, your gift might have been sold for more than 300 pence. Now, one pence was a day's wage. So 300 pence would have been a year's wage. So this ointment that she gave was worth a whole year's salary for a normal, normal laborer in the first century. So you can imagine the wealth and the value of this gift. It was an extravagant gift. Something that no one would normally give. One commentator said the costliest anointing oil of antiquity was the pure spikenard, which that's exactly what this ointment was. It's mentioned in a parallel passage that it was spikenard. And it, it was drawn from a plant of India and exposed in flasks of alabaster for sale throughout the Roman Empire where it fetched a price that put it beyond any but the wealthy class. And so this woman apparently was rich. She was wealthy. And she had the means to be able to buy such a thing. Or it could have represented her life savings. It's a possibility that it could have represented 
her life savings and what she was planning on for when she got older. It also was something that she gave that she never could take back. This spike nerd, once it was released, it filled up the house, and once it was gone, it was gone. And so this was a gift that she couldn't take back later on. Who was this woman in John 11? Is another parallel passage. It's Mary. She's Mary of Bethany, a village that's near, close to Jerusalem. She's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. You remember Lazarus? He was raised from the dead. And Scripture says in uh, John chapter 11, verse 5, that Jesus loved this family. And why did Mary give her best to Jesus in this passage? Luke chapter 10 is, is a different account, a different time in Mary's life. Uh, it's before this that, she, that Jesus comes to Bethany. He visits Mary and Martha. And if you remember this account, Martha is busy being the hostess of the mostess. You know, she's going around and making sure every little plate is set and everyone has their cups and everyone has their forks and silverware and everything's just right in, in position. But Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She is sitting in a, uh, there and she is listening to Jesus. She is learning from Jesus. And Martha quickly you know, says, Jesus, I'm running around with a, like a chicken with my head cut off and my sister's just sitting here doing nothing. And so... Jesus rebukes Martha and says that Mary had chosen the better part. She was a student of Christ. She was obviously a believer. And she wanted to learn from Jesus. She was a true follower of Jesus Christ. She sat at His feet like a disciple and heard His word. She was also grateful to Him. Would have been another reason why she gave this extravagant gift. Because, can you think of a reason? Jesus raised her brother from the dead. You know, it might be a good reason. Uh, she was very thankful and appreciated what He had done. And as we think about giving our best to Christ like Mary did, is there, is there things that Jesus has done in your life that gives you reason to give Him your best? I wrote down a couple of things. First of all, He loves you as much as He ever did love Mary. He gave His best when He died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And He made it possible for you to be saved. There's a lot more that we could enumerate on that are personal blessings to you, but in a general setting, all of those things are true for us that are in this room or under the sound of my voice. You have every reason to give your best to Christ. But what is the temptation? What is the the tendency of we believers? It's to Serve the Lord with mediocrity. The status quo. What's going to get by? And so we often settle for mediocrity in our service to Christ. And we live also for the immediate and not for eternity. He rebukes His disciples in verse 11 and says, Hey, for ye have the poor always with you, but me you you don't have always. See, Mary was giving and giving this gift at a not just at any time, it was a specific time, and I'm going to give some more reasons why she chose this time a little bit later, but she did it because Jesus was there, first of all. And she honestly believed He was going to be leaving this world soon. She believed the promises that Jesus made, that He was going to die, and that He was going to be buried, and He was going to be raised from the dead again. And she believed that, and she acted out by faith. And so, Jesus was worth every drop of this spikenard to Mary. He was worthy of her worship when He sat 
when she sat at his feet, he was worthy of her service. And isn't Jesus worthy of your best? Um, as we think about our lives and how busy they are and how distracted we get, isn't Jesus worth the best times of your day? Sometimes he gets the last of our day or the most hectic times of our day. But shouldn't he get the most the best times of our day, the most focused time of our day. He should get our whole day. But as we worship Him, He should get the best time of our day. And isn't He worthy of your best efforts? When you're serving here at First Baptist, God expects you to give your best. and not He doesn't expect perfection, but He doesn't expect mediocrity. Um, we have a great privilege when we come together as the body of Christ to in this way, to worship the Lord. And that word worship means to ascribe worth to something. And as you think about your life and how much you are consumed with different things in your day-to-day routine, there are things in your life that you ascribe worth to to, that are important to you. But where does Jesus fall on that? For Mary, He was at the top. And And she wanted to give her best to Him. Second of all, in verse 12, it says, For in that she had poured this ointment on my body. She, um, I just want to point out that she surrendered her pride to the Lord. Not only gave her best, but she surrendered her pride to the Lord. When she came into that room, this was not her house. This was Simon the leper's house. And when she came into that house, she really took some brave action in anointing the head of Jesus. Uh, First of all, it was common for a special guest who comes into your house to anoint their head with oil. That was pretty common, uh, especially for someone who was a great teacher like Jesus. But any guest would. But it was the job and the responsibility of the host or hostess. Simon the leper should have already done this, and she really faces the awkwardness of doing what is appropriate. But then also she faced criticism for honoring Christ. Usually olive oil was used when you anointed the head of this person because it was inexpensive. But she used uh, oil or ointment that was extravagant. And she was criticized for it. Uh, She also humbly anointed the feet of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 3, It points out that she didn't just anoint the head of Jesus, but also the feet of Jesus. And this was kind of an uncommon practice. The only other time this happens is on another case, earlier on in Jesus' ministry, where a woman who apparently was an immoral woman, but was saved through the ministry of Jesus Christ. She put her faith in Jesus Christ and was forgiven for her past sin. But she comes and she... Uh, cries at the feet of Jesus and uses her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. Different occasion. That's not Mary. It's a different occasion in the Gospel of Luke. But here, Mary does even beyond that. She uses this uh, as this ointment comes down and pours to the feet of Jesus and she anoints His feet. She wipes it with her hair. Which is a very humiliating act. Because the Scriptures tell us that Hair of a woman is her glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12 says, But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. 
And you know, guys, we know this. If we, you know, if there's the top five things that a woman pays attention to to make herself that she takes pride in, one of those top things is going to be her hair, right? How her hair sticks. And you know, you go to the beauty shop and these ladies spend a lot of money to make her hair look good, right? Because that, you know, that's something that helps her make make her look beautiful. And she takes pride in that. And Mary here. She falls down and she wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair. What an act of humility as she does that. And she definitely was not doing this in pride at all. This was not about her. This was about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in contrast to uh, many of the disciples there, they were actually fighting about who was the greatest. Mary realized she wasn't the greatest. And she came in humility. And she washed the feet of Jesus with her own hair. John the Baptist said it this way in John 3, verse 30. He says, He must increase, but I must decrease. And that is the attitude of one that is committed to Christ. They have a view of Christ that they are consumed with Him and not themselves. And what kind of view do you have of yourself? Who, how much do you talk about yourself? You may be talented, you may be smart, and you... You probably are skilled in all those ways. You may even be successful in your occupation. But the tendency a lot of times when we are blessed with those things is we talk about those things a whole lot more. And we kind of focus on ourselves more than we do focus on what truly is important. To Mary, Jesus was the most important. And who was she consumed with? The Lord Jesus Christ. And she did not want to point to herself, but in humility she came before the Lord and she was consumed with making Him the center of attention at that moment. And so we as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we truly are committed to Christ, we need to get over ourselves and never get over Christ and make Him the centerpiece of our lives. And when we do that, we surrender our own glory and our pride to the Lord. Number three, and the last point, Mary, when she showed her commitment to Christ, not only did she give of her best and surrender her pride to the Lord, but she also declared her faith in Christ. Verse 12, towards the end, Jesus said of her, she did it for my burial. I already kind of referred to this a little bit. She apparently had heard Jesus say over and over that He was going to die. Even when Lazarus was raised from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, he had revealed a whole bunch about his power to raise himself from the dead. He had talked many times about dying, being buried, and being raised from the dead again. And she lived in the reality of those promises. When she brings this sacrifice to Jesus, it is an act of faith. It is an act of faith that she is doing. She believed that Jesus the body of Jesus would not be corrupt. And I'm going to point out the reason why I say that. She came before His death to anoint His body. Usually, you would the person would die and you would anoint it afterwards so, because you believed it was going to corrupt and begin to stink. Right? You following me? But she does it before. And I believe that's because she believed His body would not be corrupted. That she believed in His promise that He was the resurrection and the life. That he would not, um, his body would not decay in the grave. And so this was an act of faith, but it also was a declaration of her faith. If you look at 
uh, earlier on in the passage, it says that uh, the whole room was filled with, uh, with the fragrance. And I am missing that. Oh, well, anyway, I'm, I'm not sure. I had a little, my little gray matter's messed up. It must be in a parallel passage because I'm not seeing it here and I don't have the verse. But in one of the parallel passages, it says that when she gave this ointment, that it filled the whole room with the smell. And so it's either in John, John chapter 11 or Mark 14. So you can look there for that information. But it, you know, everyone smelled it in the room. There was no mistake that Mary opened up that bottle and that she poured it on Jesus Christ. And so everyone knew. It declared her faith. Mary's sacrifice was not concealed at all. Her purpose was very plain that she believed that Jesus would die and be raised from the dead. However, His disciples totally were it hit them like a bullet on a rock. They didn't even, it didn't even faze them. And they criticized this woman for her waste, but really it was an act of faith. And she was declaring her faith to the disciples and those that were in that room. But her sacrifice lastly became a memorial of her faith. And this verse is in this passage, and I'm sorry about that. Verse 13, it says, Verily I say unto you, Jesus said of her, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told of her for a memorial of her. And as we think about the memorial of Mary, and that wherever the gospel would go, people would hear about what she did before Jesus actually died. That she exercised this great step of faith, that she declared her faith in this way. She left a legacy behind that people hear about even today. And so my challenge to you is, if you are committed to Christ, what kind of legacy of faith are you leaving behind? If you died today, would people remember you declaring your faith before others? You know, as we observe the Lord's table today, we're going to be reading in the passage there in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're supposed to do this to show the Lord's death till he come to declare the Lord's death that he died for the sins of the whole world till he come back for us. And so the Lord's table is an opportunity for us to declare our faith when we had those eight people baptized not too long ago. They were declaring their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. What about your witness for Christ? When you have opportunities to share Jesus with those in your family or those that you work with, maybe even farmers or ranchers that you occasionally meet or other people that you meet in the workplace or even at the marketplace? You know, do you take those opportunities to share Christ? Like Mary, do you declare your faith? It is an act of faith to do such a thing. And even in your own life and how you live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, a committed life as a Christian is different than the life of an unbeliever. And so I just challenge you to consider, if you died today, when people remember you, would they remember you for your legacy of faith? When I was at home and I was um, there for my grandmother's funeral, I was asked to give reflections as one of her, a reflection as one of her grandsons. I, I was the only one that was asked, and I was surprised by that, but my tribute to my grandmother kind of went like this. I, you know, I 
I just was really thankful that my grandmother was a believer. And I got to talk to her about her salvation. Um, she was a member of her church. She didn't go there this many years because she couldn't get out and she was shut in. But uh, she was a member of that church for 60 years. And uh, so she had a, you know, she became a member, active member of the First Baptist Church there in Anderson when she was um, a young mother. And she accepted Christ, her personal Savior. I got to hear her testimony. But also, she just loved the Lord. She talked about wanting to go to heaven so much. Whenever I got to call her quite a few times before her hearing got really bad. And she, we're just yelling at each other <laughs> over the phone. But, you know, she was able to talk about heaven and how she was looking forward to going to see Granddaddy, who, who uh, died eight years ago. And uh, she was also encouraging me when I, when I would call her as her grandson she hated, I'll be honest with you, she hated that God, she didn't hate it, but you know, she was sad that God called me to Colorado to minister uh, six years ago, and, and now I'm still in Colorado. She really wished that I was at home, and I know family feel that way, but you know, you know, she did rejoice that I was doing God's will, and she prayed for me, and every time I called her, I would talk to my grandma, and she would say, John, I pray for you and Crystal and the boys, and she never has seen Elise, but she prayed for Elise. And my mom told me by the time, um, by, by right before her death, as much as she could, she would spend 30 minutes in prayer for her family, just praying every, you know, every day, every night for us. And she told me every time I talked to her how much she prayed. But she was a woman of faith. She was a woman who was committed to the Lord. She wasn't perfect, but she had that legacy that we could share with family at her memorial service. And I just wonder about us. I wonder about me. I think about my, I've been thinking about my own life. How committed am I as a pastor? You know, I mean, I guess there's a level of commitment that I've made, I've surrendered to the Lord's calling on my life, but are there better ways that I can, are there areas in my life that I could further commit to the Lord Jesus Christ? And if we're honest with ourselves, can we give, you know, better to the Lord? Are there areas where we're not giving our best? Probably. Um, are there times when we get consumed with ourselves and we're hung up more on ourselves than on Jesus Christ? Probably. Are, what kind of uh, declaration of our faith are we giving to the lost? Probably need for improvement. And I just want to uh, use Mary as an illustration here and just an example and also a rebuke to us. Are you totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? You might be committed to some degree or another. But Mary, at least at this point in her life, was totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. She gave of her best. She was consumed with Him and not herself. And she declared her faith in Him. She had all the evidence that Jesus was the apple of her eye and that she cherished Him more than anything else. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? I want to encourage you during our time... Uh, as we observe the Lord's table, this is a time of examination where we examine our own relationship with the Lord. And it's good to have a little inspection every once in a while, a little, you know, check under the hood and see what's going on and address issues that might come up. And that is what this time is for, is to, you know, examine our own relationship with the Lord, our own service to the Lord. And if the Lord has spoken to you in some way where 
you are not totally committed to Christ, I encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit. We're not going to have a come forward invitation, but encourage you to respond during our time as we are passing out the uh, unleavened bread and the uh, the juice. But um, also, it's a time of remembrance where we remember the Lord's death till He come. We remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and and uh, we remember that His body, His bones weren't broken, but He suffered on the cross for our sins. And He was broken in that way as He suffered for the sins of the whole world. And His blood was shed for the penalty of our sins. And so, uh, before we begin, and uh, I'm going to close in prayer in just a little bit. We'll have our deacons come forward to serve the Lord's Supper, but the Lord's Table but I just want to emphasize here about the bread, that it is represents the broken body, the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ in the cup, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also a time of looking forward to the Lord's return. Um, this shouldn't be a boohoo time. It should be a time of celebration because we serve a risen Savior. He's coming. He's in the world today, and He is coming back to get us soon. So I encourage you to take this time seriously, but do respond to the Lord as He's worked in your heart. Let's close in a word of prayer before we observe the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank You so much for this time that we've had to study this account right before You instituted the Lord's Table. And it's fitting that we should look at the account of Mary of Bethany and her extravagant gift and her commitment to You. And I pray, Lord, that You would search our hearts and see if there are areas of mediocrity, uh, there's areas of pride, that there's areas of silence when we should be sharing our faith. Help us, Lord, to confess those sins to You. Lord, we thank You that Your Word says in 1 John chapter 1 that if we confess our sins, You're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank You for that, Lord. That's an act of mercy on Your part. We thank You that You're willing to show such mercy to us. I pray, Lord, that You would use this time as we observe the Lord's table to be a serious time, but a time of demonstrating our faith. And, and Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray, Lord, that as they don't participate, that they would be instructed by the symbolism and by what we're declaring by our faith. Pray you'll bless this time as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.